0: Section twenty eight of Chapters on Evolution by Andrew Wilson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter ten The Evidence from Development Continued. Two The Life Histories of Starfishes and Crustaceans. Part three. To trace in full the record of crustacean development would considerably exceed the limits which the patience of the reader might bear, and would unnecessarily protract and repeat facts already exhibited and illustrated by the life histories just recorded. It might be highly profitable, for instance, to trace the development of those peculiar crustaceans, the king crabs, or limuli, which as living forms stand well nigh alone in their class, and remain connected with other crustaceans only as the leaves on the extremities of one branch of a tree may be said to be connected with those at the tip of another and widely divergent bough. These crabs at one stage of their development and before leaving the egg, within which all their notable features are acquired, present a most remarkable resemblance to certain of those singular fossil crabs, the trilobites, witchia, and likewise at another stage to the larva of certain other trilobites, Trinucleus. This resemblance is well seen on comparing the larva of the king crab with the larval trilobite and still more striking is the resemblance between the king crab at a later stage with the adult trilobites. Thus, whilst the trilobite race and their neighbors, Eurypterida of Silurian age, have died out of existence, the king crabs, springing presumably from the same rootstock, have undergone modification as descent proceeded along the files of time, and remain to present a crab race of an age and type, compared with which our existing crabs are but as creatures of yesterday so also we might did space permit strive to show that those curious creatures the brine shrimps artemia of the limington salt pans and the great salt lake the fairy shrimps which like crustacean ghosts flit through our fresh waters or the curious apis with its sixty pairs of feet begin life each as a nauplius bearing either two or the statutory three pairs of limbs. And the account of other crustaceans in which, as in the woodlice tribe, the nauplius stage is passed, either within the egg or is altogether suppressed, might similarly bring again before our mental view the operation of the laws and principle of modification. It may, however, suffice if in drawing crustacean history to a close, we select a few examples of development from the highest and most specialized group of the class, that of the crabs, shrimps, prawns, etc. In such a history, we may discover the important fact that, notwithstanding modification, and despite the high specialization of these latter animals from the primitive types and rootstock of crustacea, their community of descent with that of all other members of the class is proved by those clues and traces which, all insignificant as they may appear to the ordinary observer, literally afford to the zoologist proofs and confirmations of the strongest character of the truth of the theory of descent. The higher crustaceans, or decapoda, as they are called, including the crabs, lobsters, shrimps, prawns, etc., as their typical representatives, present us with a sufficiently diverse group of beings viewed as adults, and likewise afford illustration of equal diversity in their development. Such diversities may be well observed in the comparative study of the early history of such a series of forms as is presented by the lobsters and crayfish, by certain shrimps, and by the common crabs. In its development, the crayfish apparently presents but little that is remarkable, as compared with crustaceans of lower nature. Both crayfish and lobster come from the egg, In the essential guise of their species or race, and the free swimming nauplius stage, so universal amongst lower crustaceans, is apparently unknown in their life histories. There is clear evidence at the same time to show that a nauplius condition is represented in their egg development, and that this phase is obscured and modified, presumably through those causes and conditions which have placed the lobster and crayfish amongst the aristocracy of the crustacean class speaking of the development of the crayfish and of its nauplius stage huxley says that animal quote is wholly incapable of an independent existence at this stage and continues its embryonic life within the a case. but it is a remarkable circumstance that the cells of the epiblast or outer layer of the developing body secrete a delicate cuticula which is subsequently shed it is as if the animal symbolized a nauplius condition by the development of the cuticle, as the fetal whalebone whale symbolizes a toothed condition by developing teeth which are subsequently lost and never perform any function. Unquote. Again, speaking of the crayfish, Huxley says quote, In this crustacean, in fact, it would appear that the process of development has undergone its maximum of abbreviation. Unquote as already remarked the progressive advance and evolution of a group must naturally include in their course changes and modifications in development as part and parcel of the higher order and structure to which the advancing members of the group attain it is not surprising therefore to find that the crayfish or lobster should evince an absence in their development of those phases and repetitions of their ancestry Of which their lower and more primitive neighbors, the barnacles, etc., present such typical examples. Whilst at the same time it is equally notable and interesting to discover that in nature's process oft repeated exceptions prove the rule, and that here and there the exceptions to the ordinary development of higher crustaceans certainly prove that their original way of evolution has lain through the pathways so plainly marked out in the lower ranks of the class. Such exceptions occur within the family circle of the crayfish and lobster kind, and are even represented in the early history of that most familiar of crustaceans, the common crab itself. This animal possesses a life history which, whilst it presents striking analogies to that of lower crustaceans, likewise offers some interesting points of difference from the development of the latter animals. Within the egg, as in the case of the crayfish, the youthful crab appears to pass its noplious stage, and sooner or later it emerges upon the world of waters in a form with which our previous researches have not made us familiar. The young crab possesses a short body which at first sight appears like a huge head and a jointed tail. In front and above are spinous projections, the upper of which reminds one of the end of a nightcap long drawn out. A single and simple eye is placed between two very large compound organs of sight. Four antennae or feelers exist, and three pairs of jaws are developed, the young crab thus presenting us with the complete furnishings of the head of the adult. There likewise exist traces of appendages which represent foot jaws in the full-grown crab, but the jointed tail possesses no addenda or belongings save bristle-like processes attached to its broad and divided extremity in seventeen seventy eight there was figured by a Dutch naturalist a new form of crustacean which was met with in eighteen twenty two in large numbers in the Cove of Cork by Mr. Vaughan Thompson. These beings were referred to a genus Zoea, which had been constructed for their reception. Later research, however, showed that the zoeas were merely the young or larval crabs just described, and the further development of the zoeas was in due course satisfactorily traced. For after repeated molts, the zoea becomes the megalopa. Its body has now assumed a shape distinctly resembling that of the mature crab, and its five pairs of walking legs are well developed. It possesses, however, an appendage unknown in the adult crab, in the shape of a jointed tail provided with appendages. And as the megalopa, the crab bears a very decided resemblance to one of its tailed neighbors, such as the hermit crab, lobster, or shrimp ultimately the body widens after further moltings. the tail decreases in size loses its appendages and becomes tucked up under the body to form the characteristic little purse of the adult crab and finally with the proportional growth and development of other regions and parts the features of adult crab life are duly produced thus a crab's body really consists of a greatly broadened head and chest and the jointed tail we see in the lobster or shrimp is represented in mature crab existence by the little appendage or purse which on examination will be found to bear rudiments of the tail appendages so typically developed in the long-tailed neighbors of the crab. It likewise becomes clear from the foregoing life history that the crabs, in respect of the modification and disappearance of their tail, are a later and higher race than the lobsters, shrimps, and prawns and geology confirms this surmise inasmuch as the lobster races were developed ages before the crabs fossil kith and kin of the lobsters occur very early in the stratified rocks the crabs being late productions so that the idea of the crabs having originated from a tailed zoea-like or lobster-like race is fully supported by the best of evidence the concluding life histories which may be glanced at by way of summarizing the ways of the crustacean evolution are those of the mysis, or opossum shrimps, and a peculiar genus of prawns known as Penaeus. The first mentioned animals are common in the lakes of modern Europe and of North America, and also flourish in the Arctic seas. It is a warrantable inference that the mysis relicta of the lakes is simply a variety of the mysis oculata, of the Arctic seas, which has been shut off from a former marine existence by the conversion of the Baltic fjords or firths into lakes, geological changes thus inducing alteration in animal species, and a primitively marine animal thus becoming completely adapted to freshwater life. These opossum shrimps are so called because the young are carried during development in special sacks or pouches of the parent form they present in their early history a very interesting connection between the marked change of form in lower crustaceans and that direct development of the higher forms of which the crayfish is so well marked an example within the egg mysis like the crab passes through a nauplius stage thereafter however it grows rapidly and a remarkable circumstance has to be chronicled namely that the original skin or integument remains unaltered And is not malted or otherwise made to participate in the succeeding growth of the body. In this feature, as Huxley remarks, the young opossum shrimp might be justly compared to the pupa or chrysalis of an insect, since it lies, like the latter, within an enveloping skin from which, in due course, the young shrimp emerges. Here, then, the nauplius stage is represented as a fleeting period in development and we see in the mysis when full-grown a being which has no gills which possesses a large tail or abdomen and a small body or head and chest and which has but rudimentary appendages to its tail notwithstanding the fact that the development of the mysis is well-nigh direct we must not neglect to note the important facts firstly that one of its nearest relations euphosia actually leaves the egg as a true nauplius and secondly that the form and figure of the adult mysis itself is perfectly reproduced in the development of the crustaceans of higher type thus in the lobster which so nearly resembles the crayfish in its direct development and in its imperfectly represented nauplius stage the young form named the zoea from its analogies to the youthful stage of the crabs passes through a mysis stage but thereafter develops into the mature lobster with well-developed tail appendages and head the idea that in the adult mysis we may see represented a transitory phase in the evolution of such higher forms as the lobster and crayfish is a justifiable assumption it is one moreover which appears to be fully proved by the study of the life history of that division of the prawn tribe which includes the species of pineus as its representatives the prawns as every one knows are intimately associated with the lobsters shrimps and crayfish as higher crustacea yet the first appearance of peneus is not as in the crayfish as a well-nigh perfectly formed animal nor as in the lobster as a zoea somewhat like the adult nor yet as in the crab as a zoea widely different from the mature form on the contrary, the youngest stage of peneus is a veritable noplius with three pairs of appendages and a single median eye, accurately reproducing the features now familiar to us in the barnacle, sacculina, and lower crustacean life at large. Next in order, this noplius develops a rounded body shield, or carapace, the first and second pairs of appendages becoming the two pairs of feelers proper to all crustaceans, whilst the third pair becomes the chief jaws or mandibles then are developed four pairs of feet converted in due time into jaws and foot-jaws and behind these appear other five pairs of appendages which become the ten walking feet the six joints of the tail have as yet no appendages but the tail itself ends in two tufted processes and we see the zoea form thus limbed out whilst no less remarkable is the resemblance of the young prawn at this stage to an adult cyclops water flea. Two stalked eyes, in addition to the single eye of the nauplius, appear in the zoea form, which alters and changes through the decrease of the feelers, till now used for swimming. The tail now increases in size and replaces the feelers in function, and the feelers, each at first double, become single-jointed organs the five feet of the chest region are each provided with two terminal joints and the zoea becomes thus modeled into the exact form of a mysis or opossum shrimp finally the single and median eye disappears the outermost of the two end joints of each of the chest limbs disappears leaving these walking legs seen so plainly in shrimp prawn crab and lobster of single conformation gills are developed within the chest sense organs appear and the full development of the prawn is then completed. Throughout these varied stages, it is not difficult to trace a panoramic succession of forms accurately reproducing the existing degrees and forms of the crustacean class. The early Nauplius, the zoea or water flea stage, the mysis form, each produced in definite and advancing succession, present us with a perfect picture of the evolution of the prawn race from lower crustacean life and presumably also of the evolution of all other crustaceans belonging to the same rank and series in the class in summarizing the results to which a study of the development of the echinoderms and crustaceans leads there is to be recognized the operation of the principles already more than once insisted upon in the preceding pages namely that community of descent is provable by likeness in development just as differences or obliterations and alterations in development are explicable on the grounds of adaptation and change acting concurrently with the evolution and progress of the race only by taking into account these two principles can the hard ways of development be understood the present subject is one which may be regarded as lying thoroughly without the province and power of any explanation not founded upon evolution and upon the idea that progressive change is part and parcel of the order of nature admitting that the only feasible explanation of these curious phases of development is to be found in such an idea of nature's constitution it seems folly to deny that the general weight of evidence in favor of descent more than counterbalances any difficulties which may present themselves in connection with the exact determination of the lines along which that descent has traveled that larval or young forms are themselves liable to modification from various circumstances must be admitted this variation, to be hereafter studied in the insect class, of the young form which we regard as representing the primitive stock of the class, must unquestionably complicate the study of evolution, and add to the difficulties of constructing a perfect pedigree of the living world. The Pluteus larva of a sea urchin and the Bipinnaria larva of a starfish thus differ in respect that the former possesses a limey framework, which is wanting in the latter but such distinctions do not in the least degree militate against the primary fact underlying all such developments namely that the likenesses not merely of young forms but in adult structure are explicable only on the theory of a common origin indeed with the best of reason and logic it may be argued that as a condition of evolution we postulate the occurrence of variations in the young stages as well as in the adult form just as we should legitimately expect to find in living horses the rudiments of those toes which the ancestors of the existing equine race possessed thus direct development such as we have seen to occur in some starfishes and sea cucumbers whereby the young pass directly into the form of the adult and wherein the changes of structure and appearance are suppressed is a result of the adaptation of the larvae to new ways of life Rejecting this view, we should have to fall back upon the anomalous position of maintaining that there existed for one echinoderm a law of special creation, and for another a law of descent, a supposition which no logical mind will accept, and which the grander idea of the uniformity of nature at once dispels. As a final remark in connection with the sea-urchin class and its transformations, we may add that the changes in form are themselves progressive in nature. The five existing groups of this class—sea urchins, starfishes, sand stars, sea lilies, and sea cucumbers— are unquestionably modifications of a common plan of structure, and they originate from a larva which is wonderfully similar throughout, if we consider the diversities of adult structure which arise therefrom. Further, if this larva were to be arrested in its development and to represent a mature form in such an arrested state, it would present a striking resemblance to some of the lower worms and their allies, this fact alone pointing to the probable beginnings of the sea urchin class in a worm stock. No less clearly do we see in the varying degrees of organization exhibited by adult echinoderms the same proof of progressive advance and modification of an originally primitive type. The forces and powers which, before our waking eyes today, evolve a sea urchin from its egg and easel-like larva, or a starfish from its bipenaria, are, if we will only consider the wonderful nature of the transformations involved, engaged in as evident and intricate a work of evolution as those which have developed the varied twigs and branches of the echinoderm tree in the eons of the past the foregoing conclusions find perhaps plainer illustration in the history of the crustacean class wherein exists a uniformity not so clearly traceable although its original existence may not be doubted in the early life of the echinoderms, the highest members of the crustacea are as we have noted the lobsters crayfishes shrimps crabs and their allies we have seen that in the crayfish a nauplius stage is represented that in the lobster, a zoea phase is seen, that mysis likewise exhibits a noplius and then settles down as a peculiar form, that in the crab's early history, a still better marked zoea appears, and finally, that the shrimp peneus actually passes through a noplius phase, a zoea or water flea stage, a mysis form, and finally assumes the likeness of the shrimp tribe. The history of Peneus, therefore, is practically an abridged treatise of the evolution of all higher crustacea. Its development to parody Pope's line is, quote, not one but all crustaceans epitome, unquote, and as perfectly are the facts of lower crustacean life correlated with those of the higher development of the class. A water flea like Cyclops, as an adult, matures its development and ceases to progress at a stage corresponding to that At which pineus has but attained its youth. The barnacles and sacculinas exhibit the influence of conditions of parasitism, acting at a definite stage in the course of ordinary development, and producing the degraded and attached form of the adults. Mysis advances so far on the way towards the lobster and crayfish type, but stops short in its development at a point represented in lobster history, and beyond which the lobster itself passes, as we have seen. Finally, beyond all such stages, and underlying all the variations and obscurities, even of the higher and most modified life histories, we see the nauplius form continually appearing as the starting point of all crustacean history, or as that point, to use Fritz Müller's expression, which represents the, extreme outpost of the class, retiring furthest into the gray mist of primitive time, unquote. The Noplius appears before us, then, as the founder of the crustacean race. The zoea is a modification and advance upon the Noplius, and from the zoea, as proved by Peneus development, were evolved the higher crustaceans at large. The lobsters and their allies, again appealing to Peneus, were evolved from the zoea form through an intermediate stage, represented today by the mysis, or opossum shrimp whilst the short-tailed crabs in all probability arose directly from the zoea without the intervention of a mysis stage seeing that in their development they exhibit a distinct zoea stage and do not pass through a mysis stage like the lobsters and their long-tailed neighbors diagrammatically expressed we may see in the history of crustaceans that tree-like arrangement of their pedigree which best illustrates the deductions of evolution the nauplius exists at the root of the class developed in direct line we find pineus passing through the zoea and mysis stages the lobster branch diverges after the mysis stage has been attained and the crabs depart from the main stem before the latter phase the crayfish with its obliterated nauplius stage may be presumed to have followed the course of development resembling that of the lobster its history however being singular in respect of the obliteration of the intermediate stages the king crabs have presumably originated in the common nauplius form and have passed through the trilobite form now extinct to their present position at the extremity of an isolated branch of the crustacean tree although indeed some naturalists hold that the king crabs are more nearly allied to the spiders and scorpions than to the crustaceans The barnacles, fish-lice, and water-fleas, obviously nearly allied, spring from a distinct nauplius stem, but diverge through different ways and paths of life, the former to exist mostly as degraded parasites, and the latter to develop into active, free-swimming forms. Thus becomes clear to us the meaning of those singular changes in animal forms which puzzled the older naturalists to question the meaning which evolution attaches to these changes is to leave them without explanation or meaning our knowledge of the full evolution of the crustacea or any other animal group as already remarked may be and often is far from perfect we are it is true still in the gray mists of many biological subjects and the pedigree of animals amongst others is still enveloped in much obscurity but at the same time we can detect breaking through the mist gleams of knowledge, bright forerunners of that flood of light which the research of after years will assuredly bring. End of section 28. Chapter 10. The Evidence from Development. Continued. 2. The Life Histories of Starfishes and Crustaceans. Part 3.